0: Good morning morning. and Merry Christmas. Christmas, I just want to say thank you to those of you who are here, who who are making Jesus and gathering together with his people a priority this morning. I'm so glad that you're here with us as we worship him together and celebrate his birth. Now, after this, you may have some other plans. You may have plans to get together with family and friends to celebrate Christmas with them. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking about when I gather together with family on Christmas, what happens when we're together? And there were three things I thought about that typically happen when we gather together for a Christmas party, a Christmas uh, gathering. One is we celebrate together. We have a wonderful time when we're together. Second, normally there's some gifts being exchanged uh, between at least some of the people who are there. And third, if we're together on Christmas, we're probably sharing a meal as well. And thinking about those three things, I also noticed how some of those are reflected in the passage we looked at last night about the wise men. And if you remember, we were in Matthew chapter 2, if you were here, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 11. And as I was talking about it, this story of the wise men coming to see Jesus... Uh, We typically talk about it on Christmas Day as we're celebrating his birth, but they probably didn't arrive till sometime after that, maybe even up to two years after he was born. And these men we're looking at, these wise men, or magi is the word in the Bible, they were men of high position. They were wealthy, they were respected, they were scholars, and they came to see Jesus because they saw something in the sky that led them there. They come first to the capital city of Jerusalem and they have a conversation with the man who had been put in charge by the Romans, King Herod. And they ask him, Where is Jesus? And uh, he doesn't know. He has to find out for him. But once they have the answer, they head off to the little town of Bethlehem, where they finally meet Jesus. They see his family gathered together in a house in that town. And today we're going to talk about what happens when they arrive to Bethlehem and what it looks like for this first Christmas gathering, Christmas party, and what happened there, and how it impacts us today. So if you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're not going to read all of 1 to 11. I'm going to read the first two verses, and then I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. So Matthew 2, I'm going to read 1 through 2, and then 9 through 11. And once you are there, I ask you, if you're able, that you please stand to honor the reading of God's word And follow along as I read our passage for today. Again, I'll be reading Matthew 2. I'll read verses 1 and 2. And then we'll jump down to verse 9 to read through verse 11. Matthew 2 verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then verse 9 says that after they, the wise men listened to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the special gathering we're able to have here on Christmas Day. Celebrating your birth, our own kind of church family Christmas party. Lord, as we reflect on these wise men, these men who traveled from so far seeking you, help us to see what happens when they arrive, that they celebrated, they worshiped you, Jesus. In this exchange of gifts that happens, may we see the greatest gift of all, which is the gift of you, Jesus, and the gift of salvation that you offer. This Christmas, may our focus be on you. May our minds be on you the other distractions, other fun things of the day. May we move them to the side so that we can see clearly who you are and how your word celebrates that truth. And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So let's talk about what happens at Christmas parties and how we see what's happening here at this Christmas party. And the first thing we see here is at Christmas parties, we celebrate. Celebrate. Christmas parties are supposed to be a time full of joy, full of fun. And for these wise men, they arrive at this first Christmas party and their celebration is worship. It's worship. They get to this small house that may have more likely just been a room in a house and they see a, a little baby, perhaps if it had been closer to two years, maybe a toddler you could say. But when they see this little boy, they believe that he is the king that they have been seeking. our text says that they fall down they bow down on their faces and they worship jesus in verse 11 going into the house they saw the child with mary his mother they fell down and worshipped him they understand that this jesus is a great king and that they are not compared to him and we know that their focus is on jesus because look what they do after that they then open their treasures their gifts. They don't present these gifts to Mary and Joseph. No, the text says they offer to him, this little baby, this little toddler. They shove gold and frankincense and myrrh, these spices, in his face. Not in a mean way, but I'm saying they were offering it to him. They knew that he was the king. He was the one who was to be worshipped. They may not have fully understand, fully grasped who he was, but they knew he was the focus of what was happening here. By offering these gifts, they may be fulfilling Old Testament scripture. The prophet Isaiah spoke about what would happen when the Savior came. It says, A multitude of camels shall cover you, young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. That's not necessarily where the wise men were from, but look what they bring. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And in the same way, these wise men who were not Jews, not scholars of the Old Testament, these non-Jews, these outsiders came to worship. Then they saw this little boy and said, this is the Messiah. This is the King we are looking for. One pastor, J.C. Ryle, put it this way, have we not a thousandfold more evidence than these wise men had to make us believe that Jesus is the Christ? He says, well, beyond doubt, We have Yet where is our faith? (sighs) These men traveled so far looking for a great king. They find a little baby. They say, this is the one to worship. We know about Jesus. Do we worship and praise him? And in the same way, these wise men also anticipate the fact that it won't just be Jews, people of Jesus' ethnic background. No, but it will be Gentiles. All people, all nations will come to know and to worship him. All people can become a part of God's kingdom. God used this miraculous star, whatever it was, we talked a little last night, whatever it was to lead these people who didn't have an understanding of God to Jesus to come and worship him. Pastor John Piper put it this way, God wields the universe to make his son known and worshiped. He changed the sky so that these men would come and worship christ the king they are but some of the first gentiles to come and worship god and it points to the fact that someday all peoples will worship him we see in the new testament in the book of philippians paul says therefore god has highly exalted him exalted jesus has bestowed on him given him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That is what is coming for this king, and what a celebration that will be. This is good news for all people, all nationalities, all ethnicities, all can come, To Jesus. It's not a message to hoard and keep to ourselves, but one to share and celebrate, to invite others to this great Christmas party. So, a Christmas party is a time of celebration. But one way we celebrate at Christmas parties is we typically give gifts to one another. We give gifts. And while that happens at our parties, we also see here the wise men presented, they offered Jesus some gifts. The second part of verse 11 says, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. And those gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this makes sense because remember, they are seeking a king. They are looking for someone who will be this new king over this area. And it's customary when someone is visiting a superior or a king to bring a gift, to bring a present. This is something we're used to in this day and age. If you were looking at the news this week, the president of Ukraine came to the US, had conversations with our president and with Congress, and in both of those settings, there was an exchanging of gifts that went on. This is common. When representatives come from other places, we exchange gifts. That's what these wise men are doing. They are giving the best products of their homeland, gold, frankincense, and myrrh to this new king. And the fact that there are these three gifts we talked about, this is where the tradition comes from, that there were three wise men. We don't know how many there were, we just know there's more than one, because it's wise men, not wise man. But we get the tradition because there's three, but we don't know how many. The primary point is that however many they were, they were presenting valuable gifts to honor this king. And as I was reflecting, looking at these gifts, I wondered if there was anything more we could grasp and learn about these presents that they offer. Now, we don't know exactly, 100%, what's in the author's mind, Matthew, as he's writing this, putting this down for us. But took some time to look at other places in the Bible that gold, frankincense, and myrrh show up. And there's some interesting parallels where these gifts show up. For example, gold. Gold is... Well, we all know gold is very valuable, but it's associated with royalty, with a king. It's associated with praise for a king. Psalm 72 says, long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. These wise men bring gold to this king. Now, in the immediate moment, it's God providing for Joseph and Mary and Jesus. They're about to have to flee the country. But this gold also points to he is a king and he has a coming kingdom. Well, what about frankincense? Well, frankincense in the Old Testament was used as incense in God's tabernacle, in the place where God's people could meet with him. For example, Exodus 30 says this, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, including sweet spices with pure frankincense it says make an incense blended as by the perfumer seasoned with salt pure and holy you shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting in the tabernacle in the temple and god says where i shall meet with you and this incense shall be most holy to you it was the only incense that was allowed in the tabernacle the temple in many ways, like Jesus, is the only way we have access to God. What's also interesting is frankincense was used in the offerings that God's people made. The book of Leviticus talks about this. Leviticus chapter 2 says, when anyone brings a grain offering, he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. She'll take a handful of fine flour and oil with all its frankincense and the priest burns it as a memorial portion a food offering frankincense was used in offering sacrifices to god like jesus is our sacrifice and again i don't want to i want to be clear i don't know if matthew had those connections in mind but this little gift hints to the fact that jesus is the true offering our sacrifice the one who paid for our sins and restored us to god and that brings us to the last gift which is myrrh which. It's very interesting because this is also a type of incense or perfume that was often used by people, perhaps highlighting Jesus' humanity or looking ahead to his death. But I also saw that myrrh shows up in several different ways, and it reminded me of the roles that Christ serves. Some people describe Christ as serving as a prophet, a priest, and a king. He's the perfect prophet who tells us God's word and also fulfills scripture. He's the priest who represents us before God, and he's the king who will rule over all. As for that prophet fulfilling scripture, we see myrrh mentioned when Jesus is on the cross. In Mark chapter 15, it says that as he's on the cross, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And then we see myrrh again after Jesus dies. In John 19, We read that after Jesus is dead, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus also, who had come to Jesus by night, they came and they brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes. It was about 75 pounds in weight. They took the body of Jesus. They bound it in linen cloths with those spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. It was a spice used to wrap bodies, prepare them for burial. And so these gifts may remind us that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies of scripture. He was God's prophet represented who was killed so that we could be set free. But myrrh was also something used for priests. Again, back in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 30, this is the Lord describing how a priest would be set apart. And the Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh. It says 500 shekels, list some other spices there. And then he says, and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended by the perfumer it shall be a holy anointing oil. This myrrh was used in this oil to set apart. This person is a priest. He stands between us and God. And it's interesting, Jesus was given one of the ingredients for oil for priest. And we know from Scripture that Jesus is our high priest. He's the one who stands between us and God. He's the one who brings us to God. And then finally, myrrh is also associated with kings in Scripture. Psalm 45 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions, and your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Jesus also received this kingly gift of myrrh. Now, again, let me be very clear. Matthew's main point here in our passage is to say these wise men are bringing great gifts to Jesus. They're honoring this king. But by looking at other places where we see these things, we see how great these gifts really were. But what about us? What what gift do we bring to Jesus? If this is his birthday party, shouldn't we show up with something? What do we give to Christ this Christmas? Well, he doesn't need our gold or frankincense or myrrh but he does call us to follow him. We give Christ ourselves, our lives, everything we have because of who he is and because he gave everything to us. In fact, Christmas really isn't about what we offer to Jesus, but it's about the gift that he gives to us. And his gift to us is salvation through him. It's knowing God. Through him, which is something far better than we could ever attempt to give. And that word gift is used very frequently to talk about this salvation. For example, Romans 6:23 says, the wages of sin, what we earn by rebelling against God, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We earn sin, but instead he offers us, he gives us this gift of eternal life. Earlier in Romans, Paul says in Romans 3, 23 through 25, that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified, they are made right with God by his grace as a gift. It's his gift that he gives. It says through the redemption, that means he purchases us, he buys us out of sin in christ jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation that word means satisfaction god put christ forward to satisfy his wrath so that we can receive this gift by faith god and his wrath should judge us for the wrong we do but instead in his grace he gives us a gift that gift is being made right with god through jesus christ So let me ask you today, whether you're here or perhaps watching later, have you received this gift of life, this gift of being made right with God? It's not something that you can bring about yourself in your own life, that you can earn, that you can buy. You won't find it in any store. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of your works so that no one may boast. It's a gift God gives to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. He hands it to you. You show up at the party. He says, here you go. This is for you. You can't pay him back. You can just express gratitude for the fact that he gives it to you. And that's what Paul does in 2 Corinthians. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And so again, let me ask you, do you know This gift is your song, is your joy, thanking God for that gift of salvation this Christmas. If it's not, or you have questions about that, I encourage you to talk to me afterwards. I'd love to have a conversation with you about what it means to receive this gift, to have it, to know Christ. That is the gift you need this Christmas, more than anything anyone else may offer. So at Christmas parties we celebrate, at Christmas parties we exchange gifts, and at Christmas parties we also share a meal. Now, that, that's not necessarily here, it's not here at all in this passage, but it is something that happens when we gather together, and since we're gathered together as a church family, that's what we're going to do today as well. And the meal we share together in the church is the meal Christ told us to do in his remembrance, remembering What he has done. Our Christmas dinner today is going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's a time we remember who Jesus is, not just that he was born, but how he lived and that he died for us. It's how we remember what he has done. So that's what we're going to do in a few minutes. But again, right now, I want to remind us that the We don't really offer a gift to Christ. What we offer is God ourselves, our lives, our lives living for him, our lives praising him. And we do also celebrate. We worship the newborn king who alone is is worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. So like the wise men, let's stand together and worship him, and then let's share our Christmas dinner, our Lord's Supper.